80%. And that's news from RTHK. Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings, and your guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Danny. In our main topic today, we're going to be looking at the government's proposals to overhaul the taxi industry. Tougher penalties for errand drivers, more comfortable cabs which can seat up to six passengers, and branded taxi fleets with customised fares are all on the agenda under new legislation to be introduced to LegCo on Wednesday. The proposals come after several recent incidents involving cabbies, from tourists reportedly being overcharged to multiple traffic accidents. So what do you think of Hong Kong's taxi industry? Is it time for an overhaul? And what do you think should be the priorities reform? Later in the program, we're going to be talking to two top scorers in the IB. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Or you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. That's backchat at rthk.hk. Or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. We're joined initially in uh, our discussion on the main topic this morning uh, by K.Y. Leung. K.Y. Leung is the former president of the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport. And in the interest of full disclosure, uh, K.Y. Leung and I are also colleagues at Hong Kong Youth Space. And we're also joined by uh, Dr. Timothy Howe. Uh, Dr. Howe is an honorary associate professor at the Faculty of Business and Economics at Hong Kong U Business School uh, at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning. Um, Mr. Leung, let's go to you first. Um, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you make of these proposals? I mean, how much difference is it really going to make? Well, uh, well, just now you say, is it not? You ask whether it's long overdue. <laughs> yes, it's long overdue for at least a quarter of a century. <laughs> well, uh, and put it this way: taxi as a service, apart from the setting up uh, vehicles uh, and pro- uh, procedures and process, what matters is the taxi driver and what sort of service do they offer. And to that. Uh, you need both carrot and stick. Uh, this time I see uh, a bigger stick, but not much carrot for the taxi driver to to perform better, better than the legal requirement. Right. Is, is this going to bring younger people into the industry, or we? It's just going to be the old fogies that we get at the moment uh, in the, in a new bottle. Well, uh, it's definitely. It would definitely be difficult to bring younger people into the industry in a way that uh, the the law. Well, of course, uh, team, uh, Dr. Tim Howe actually is, is much more in a better position to say about economics. But the way I see it is the industry is structured in, in such a way we control the fare, and then the other parties control the rental in a way that the taxi industry or the tech. Running a, uh, uh, driving a, ta- a cab will will not uh, make you uh, earn too much because it, basically if it earns too much, then somebody else, say for example, taxi owner, will want to have a, a bigger share. And on that basis, and if it's not seen as a glamorous industry, it's not seen as an industry that provide good service that everybody feel proud. I don't think uh, the 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 uh, driving a taxi is something uh, very attractive to young people. Okay, you mentioned uh, Dr. Timothy Howe, who's also with us. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Howe now. Uh, good, good morning. Um, what do you make of these proposals? Well, uh, 
Um, I first of all I agree with K.Y. Lung that in fact it is wrong of the few, and that it is in fact there is more sick uh, than error, which which is fine as long as we understand that it's what we want, the current. But uh, whether or not we're able to achieve the desired outcome, okay, of improving taxi service with that type of a combination, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I'm, of course, with the old school where deterrent, I think, uh, would help. But I think we also, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's lacking in, in, in carrot, okay? And um, and I, I I guess some of the uh, points that uh, KY pointed out just then, you know, I I think make a lot of sense. You know, what we seem to have a cycle where someone announces proposed reforms to the to the taxi industry every few years. I remember discussing the last round on this program. Uh, when it was l luxury taxis were going to were all the rage. Um, why is it we, we find it so difficult to, where other places uh, can maybe have a good taxi trade? Well, uh, actually, we are halfway there. The fact that uh, government proposed uh, that we sh uh, how about we organize a taxi to become taxi uh, free, uh, which are much more better organized. Uh, that is probably the first step, because if you want to issue carrot, this taxi driver must be recognized. Otherwise, you right. cannot award a carrot, right? Whatever incentive you offer. You hear a taxi on the street, even the service is really good. What can I do, right? Can I actually put it uh, to, uh, on the social media and say a certain taxi driver why uh, very good service is not practical. So you actually have to have somebody organizing the operation as, as a fleet, as a group. Then you can actually channel it back. And the one who actually organized, the free owner or free operator or, or however, must be the wise sort of incentive system in whatever way right. so that the good ones, uh, good performance get reported and also get rewarded. So you make taxi driving a career? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That seems to be a, an essential part of this uh, yeah. because uh, that's the whole rationale for having the yeah. fleets. Yeah. Let's just talk a bit a bit more of the fleet proposal because there there are actually two separate bills that are going to be gazetted. Uh, the one we've been talking about m mostly so far is the taxi driver offence points bill, and that's where the additional penalties come in. Uh, mm. But then there is this incredibly complex name as also legislation enhancing personalised point to point transport services <laughs> uh, amendment bill, uh, and that is where the proposal for taxi fleet uh, comes in. And buried away in the small print, there are what uh, may be quite a few significant incentives to taxi drivers, quite apart from being able to brand uh, their, their own fleet and advertise. It also says that um, uh, taxi fleets will be able to charge customised fares for pre-arranged trips and that uh, these fares uh, can be, uh, could be increased at, at times of peak demand. So we might um, be looking at something like um, Uber surge, surge pricing. Uh, KY Leung, is, would that be an incentive to taxi drivers to join these fleets? Yes, of course. Uh, then you will actually get the the, the money for so for paying the incentive. But but the next step is then the the free owners when assigning these tasks these jobs uh, to the taxi driver, just like 
you uh, you uh, you actually those who actually perform better get a higher priority to get these better jobs. Then why don't we just forget the whole thing and and uh, allow Uber? Well, <laughs> I, I, I guess. From the administration point of view, I can't speak for them. But uh, if you look at the current uh, le- uh, legislation, uh, government cannot make Uber uh, legal, put it this way. So uh, that's why the idea of, I guess that's the idea where you have a free operation coming in. Uh, so actually to create, a, what we say, a legal version Oh, Uber. The new, the new, the proposed bill will actually also tighten the or increase the penalties for Uber and uh, other yeah. unlicensed services. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, my co- my co-host raised a good point, uh, Timothy. How? Why, why not just uh, if we're moving that direction anyway? Um, and um, uh, fleets and uh, surge surge pricing. Why, why, Timothy? How? Why, why not just um, legalize Uber like so many other places in the region? Okay. Well, um, first of all, as I understand it, not everywhere legalizes um uh for instance macau does not uh, uh legalize uber and we have to understand why why you know uh, uh you know one one sort of the problem of course is the technology breakthrough uh allowing all these platforms like uber to come on okay that kind of upends the uh, traditional industry now, traditional industry, we have to understand, is like that. Uh, if you go back, okay, government policy of what taxi is in Hong Kong is a personalized form of public transport. Now, it's not exactly private car, obviously, okay, and that you can hire a uh, um, uh, taxi, okay, um, if uh, only if the taxi is legalized right legal to operate by paying a higher higher car percent fee and so on in particular urban taxis there are 18,000 of them and the 18,000 are essentially okay a medallions okay these are regulated industry that issue medallions and we look at uh, the taxi price right now is 4.1, uh, 4.1, 4.2, 4.3, 4.4 dollars, right? But if you go back, it, it's what, close to seven million. I okay. remember, I remember About those numbers. 20. Yeah, from the last so, discussion. Sorry. I remember exactly those numbers you've just said from the last time we discussed that on this show a few years ago. Yeah. So, yes, but what it means because the price is so high. That is the price of uh, regulated entry, you see. And yeah. the price re- is, uh, of the medallion, okay, well, what people call vehicle license, right, but it's actually a medallion, is really a right to, to, to take higher, higher car, you know, um, to take on higher cars, okay. And what that means is that it's a, it's, it, it's a present discount of value of the income stream from holding one of these 18,000 permits. And they don't issue that anymore, well, for some time. Now, if in fact, the, the, uh, the, uh, I'm not saying that the government um, uh, should in fact uh, sort of prop up the industry forever, but what it sh- I don't think what it should do is to destroy it all of a sudden overnight by, by essentially legalize 
Uber. If you understand, Uber does not even have to pay any fee to enter the industry. Of course, it's able to offer luxury service at rock-bottom prices compared to a taxi. In fact, they make a lot of profit. Now, because of the simple fact that Hong Kong road space is very scarce. It's very scarce. The demand is very high. Okay, and in fact, they're able to offer, you know, premium service, luxury service, okay, at basically very, very low operational costs, right? So, so in fact, they're able to have better, uh, better uh, vehicles, okay, Mercedes Benz, okay. BMWs, and so on, family cars, and so on, operate on weekends where they can, can uh, go out and with with virtually. Uh, operating costs of nil okay. compared to a taxi. Okay. Okay. Let, let me just make so, a, sorry. Fin, fin, please finish. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna, let me just bring in a couple of comments from listeners. Um, one of on Uber um, or Uber related. Uh, CW uh, says um, uh, you need to get rid of the taxi license scheme. What is the current cost yeah. of a taxi license? Five, five, actually, we say more than five million. It's about four million now, yeah. but it was yeah, right. has uh, been seven in the past. Who owns these taxi license? Licenses, a string of links to ex-government officials. This is why no changes can be made. Too many vested interests. And then uh, C CW says the answer is Uber, who provide a wonderful service. And another email um, from Neil. Remember, if you have any thoughts on this this topic, you can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Um, and uh, Neil says uh, the. Uh, uh, talking about the new proposals from the government, the onus seems to be on the taxi driver and enforcement agencies. And yet with 5,000 fewer police officers, predominantly at constable rank, I would expect most traffic formations to be under strength and investiga investigation teams have always been undermanned. Enforcement investigation of ta taxi complaints has never been high on the traffic police agenda. Drink driving, drug driving, dangerous driving and speeding are. Transport departments should take over all enforcement investigation of these new taxi offences. Taxi offences predominantly one against one, hard to prove unless one side has a recording of the incident. A few simple additions to the proposed legislation would make taxi drivers more careful. Firstly, taxi drivers should insure themselves. Poor taxi drivers would face increasing insurance costs. Good drivers would have the benefits of no claim discount, incentivise good driving. The government could give taxi drivers 10% discount for each year they have no accidents or proven complaints when renewing their taxi licenses. Place a CCTV in the cab to record bad behaviour and a black box to record driving manner. Link the taxi meter to the speed geomap of Hong Kong. If the taxi speeds, deduct $1 per 200 metres of speeding. Install octopus or other card readers, thus overcharging and not taking the shortest, shortest route. All have a financial and computer-generated evidence trail. Thank you very much, Neil. Yeah, well, I think we thank our <laughs> listeners for this. Who on earth is going to enforce these complicated rules? Well, I think that's the... That's the K.Y. Lung, that's the point the listener was making. Well, actually, the, the, the mentioning of the license is a very valid point. And that is exactly the, well, I concur with, with Tim, that is exactly the reason why we cannot legalize Uber, for two reasons. A, there is no need from the traffic management review to increase the number of taxi, high car, Uber high car, whatsoever. Uh, substantially on the road. It just adds to congestion because experience tells that and surveys tells that the 18,000 taxi uh, is sufficient uh, in Hong Kong, even 
in the pre-COVID days. Now, of course, in the last several years, demand was even lower, but even now we pick up it's still adequate, and there's one should not add, say, a substantial number, say one or two thousands, or even more, in onto the road. Uh, but what is more important is because a taxi license, you pay one uh, pay several million dollars, say four million for the time being, for a taxi license, which is uh, uh, operating right to operate taxi service, uh, and. It's a perpetual way. That's the problem. Government cannot take it away. And if there are 18,000 taxis, well, the the anti-taxi license costs less, uh, with each raising something like $4 million, then if government say less at several hundred, uh, it's unfair, and the taxi license owner do have uh, say uh, have the ground to object. Uh, in fact, when government first introduced uh, the idea of having a weak, uh, taxi-free area, issuing new license, there was strong objection. The only way to actually organise taxi-free so that they can be operated, managed better, is to actually come out from come from the existing pool right. of. But- this seems this seems to me to be in danger of turning the debate upside down. It is the licensing system from the government that's created the medallion value, isn't it? Uh, that's true, but on the other hand, <laughs> since well, that was a mistake. I don't know who ever made. Uh, it's perpetual. Yes, you're not taking <laughs> it away from them. You're just actually you're just making it worth nothing. It seems to me that the resistance is from vested interests. Uh, well, I, I won't say it's vested interest because it's everybody can get a taxi license. If you pay $4 million or <laughs> yeah, exactly. $5 million, whatever so, is the going rate. Yes, so, you can so, get one. Yeah, you can say it's vested interest of those who, who invest... Uh, who have uh, the medallions already, yes. ...to get the operating right. But at the same time, in fact, uh, about a quarter of a century ago, I was involved in taxi licensing review, and uh, and the senior economist, a Hong Kong government, actually draw this conclusion by showing figures that actually investing in taxi, in terms of investment performance, is actually in line with uh, Hang Seng Index, or... <laughs> Yes. Small residential uh, property uh, price index. Well, I know so individuals. It's not investment, and if it happen to tax it, you take it away or make it worthless. I, <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's the way we operate in Hong Kong. If you've got an individual who's put his life savings into buying his own taxi and with his own medallion, and it is a, a store of wealth for him, and he yeah. drives it while he's able to, and then when he wants to retire, he sells. The taxi. Now, I know individuals who've done this. In fact, one of my relatives has done this. Um, but who holds these uh, medallions now? I was under the impression that the vast majority are now owned by a small number of individuals or companies. Let's bring uh, Dr. Timothy Howell, uh, Timothy, back into the uh, discussion. Um, what do you make of that? Yes. Well, uh, actually, my understanding is 18,000 taxi medallions, half of them are owner-occupants, owner-occupators. Okay. Well, that's quite so, a high proportion. Yeah. So more, more the other half, of course, yes. is owned by you know like large, large taxi companies. 
okay? I don't know exactly the distribution there, okay? But, I, of course, I think there is a certain monopolistic or oligopolistic element, okay, involved, okay, that complicates everything because it, it's not like, um, you know, uh, for instance, you know, half of them is like, individual owner operators right so you have a sort of a competitive environment so we can we, we we know how to deal with them okay but if the other half is running sort of oligopolistic practices okay it's 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 not not straightforward to regulate it especially for instance the simple question of whether or not to raise taxi fares you have basically a diverse opinion among taxi drivers right because if you think about it, right, it cannot be the case that a $27 flagfall, okay, um, and a meter fare, okay, uh, can, can work for 24 hours a day. In other words, okay, during the peak, there is insufficient, uh, there's, of course, excess demand, and there's insufficient number of taxis available. And during the R peak, there are lots of taxis roaming around, okay, and and so you you, you so so you have a situation where you've regulate you. I, I agree with you in some sense that government has created this uh, situation. As Mike Rouse pointed out, right, uh, um, the government has created the licensing system, the vehicle licensing system, the medallion system that has brought us to this point. But I also agree with KY that you can't just like let's just get rid of the whole thing overnight, and then you really have a chaos. Okay. In fact, if you uh, go back, okay, uh, there was the government introduced uh, tripling of the annual um, uh, annual license fee, doubling of the first rate tax in 1984. Okay, early 1984, and I remember January 13th there. The taxis went on strike, and you know, they basically everything came to a halt in Hong Kong. Basically, what then you realize where where a lot of congestion comes from, right? From the taxis, okay. And so you have a situation where it's not easy that you say, okay, let's just get rid of, let's legalize Uber. I mean, it it, it is not that simple. Okay, how, how we about, have a historical uh, problem that we have to take into account, and then ease, ease, you know, various uh, uh, services that that are due to technological breakthroughs with all these, you know, digital platforms. Okay, uh, and we, we we ease those in rather than allow Uber to operate with impunity and have basically no entry fee. How about some okay. sort of incentive yeah. to, are you, you're mentioning that half of taxis are owned by owner-operators, the other half essentially by investors. How about having some sort of financial incentive to encourage um, owner-operators and make, make it sort of some sort of better treatment that would, would encourage more of these taxi licenses to be transferred to owner-operators? Well, I'm not, well, first of all, my understanding of the government policy is that best not to subsidize, okay? <laughs> subsidy is a dirty word, right? And uh, well, when you say financial subsidy, you could have uh, you can have tax breaks or something like that, or uh, that's a subsidy. <laughs> yeah, um, but but uh, think of it this way: we uh, look at it the other angle. We want to, them to improve the uh, the taxi service, and we want to make 
their profession, for instance, in Sante industry, right, to make it more respectable. And one way, I suppose, is this branding thing, okay? As KY pointed out, right, uh, you, if you want a carrot, you want to give the carrot to those who deserve them and those who offer better services. But right now, everything is a red taxi, right? You go out the street, there, there's no differentiation. And it's difficult to reward people who provide good service as opposed to those who are really ill-mannered and so on and so forth, right? Overcharge, you know, refuse, hire and so on, right? So, so maybe uh, this, this fleet management thing is, is, an, uh, is a way out, except that we already have, quote, luxury-type service in Hong Kong, uh, because of the fact that um, I, I Googled it, okay? I don't want to okay, name I'm names. Okay? Sorry, I, I, I'm going to have to cut you off there because we're going to have to uh, break for the news and we're also going to have to say uh, uh, goodbye to Dr. Timothy Howe from uh, the Faculty of Business and Economics, Hong Kong U. But we'll be continuing the discussion after the news, so uh, do stay with us. Uh, later on, we're also going to be talking to uh, two uh, top IB scorers. Uh, the uh, weather forecast uh, is going to be mainly fine, apart from isolated showers, very hot during the day maximum temperature will be 34 degrees currently temperature is 30 degrees relative humidity 79 percent it's 9 30 the news with ben Che. The Environment Minister Zhe Qinwan has revealed that a long-awaited pay-as-you-throw household waste charging scheme won't now be implemented this year as officials had intended. Instead, people will have to buy designated bags for their waste from April the 1st next year. Bishop Stephen Chow, the head of Hong Kong Catholic's diocese, has been named a cardinal by Pope Francis. The elevation of the 63-year-old follows his landmark visit to Beijing in April. The new cardinals were named by the Pope following his weekly Sunday Angelus prayer from the window of the Apostolic Palace in St. Peter's Square. And the Chinese University says it hopes its newly accredited biobank, a collection of biological data and specimens, will attract pharmaceuticals companies to develop drugs in Hong Kong. The biobank at the Prince of Wales Hospital is the second in the Asia-Pacific region to receive the accreditation. I'll have more news at 10. In the past year, our current term government team have been result-oriented. We have led Hong Kong to break new ground and open a new chapter. We strive to enhance governance, work pragmatically and unite different sectors, enabling Hong Kong to ride out the pandemic, resume normalcy and shine again on the international stage. We implement patriots administering Hong Kong, enhance interactions between the executive and the legislature, improve district administration and jointly maintain social harmony and stability. We pursue economic growth, find new land and create strong impetus for development. We tell the world good stories of Hong Kong and spare no effort in attracting enterprises and talent. We care about livelihoods and earnestly address issues like housing, environment and transportation. We nurture our youth. Hong Kong will proactively integrate into national development, consolidate its position as an international city and make steady strides towards a brighter future. 
Welcome back to Backchat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. In the second half of the show, we're continuing our discussion on uh, two bills uh, being put forward by the government. They'll be gazetting the Legislative Council uh, this week uh, to overhaul the uh, taxi industry in Hong Kong. One is going to increase uh, penalties for taxi drivers. That's the so-called uh, stick. While the other, perhaps the carrot, allowing uh, ta- um, taxi drivers to form fleets of taxis, which, as we heard in the first half of the show, they can be branded and they can also have uh, more flexible fares. Uh, Later on in the uh, programme, we're going to be talking to two uh, top scorers in the International Baccalaureate, uh, the results of which were released last week. Uh, our guest, as we continue the discussion, um, Dr Timothy Howe from the University of Hong Kong has kindly agreed to uh, stay on, so he's still with us. Also is uh, still with us is uh, uh, KY Leung, the former president of the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport. And we're also now joined uh, by Gary Jung, who's a legislator for the New Prospects for Hong Kong in the, and, and legislator in the New Territories North constituency and a member of the panel on transport. Before we go to our guests, let me just bring in uh, an email from a listener. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk. Charlie says, the taxi industry, as it will probably struggle to provide a good service as the main cost of the taxi is the license, which has been raised already. So, in fact, taxi licenses are really something of a shared market. The quality of the vehicle and the driver is way down the list of priorities. Uber has exposed the weakness of our setup. That, of course, is their worldwide business model. The vehicles are mostly old and not fit for service and are very tiring to drive. The swing to fully electric uh, vehicles will bring a much enhanced driving experience for the driver and passengers. We have to address historical issues first. Thank you very much, Charlie. Okay, can I go to uh, legislator Gary Chung? Good morning. Good good morning. Gary, why are we making such heavy weather of this? As a fundamental question, whenever I go to the mainland, uh, my relatives up there take me around. They've got an app on their phone. There's Uber, or it's not Uber, it's the equivalent. They actually say, DD is, is like a verb. You know, let's DD that. Let's DD. Well, why are we making such heavy weather of this? Why can't we have the same system as the mainland? Um, yeah, that, that's a very good question. Uh, I, I think, to to be very frank, it's, it's mainly because of the the protection of our 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 existing taxi license holders right. because they, uh, they 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 uh, I mean according to their argument they they invested a huge amount of uh, money in their less license so they don't want to see uh, any sort of open up of the taxi uh, the personal personalized point to point journeys uh, services uh, market. Is we've been hearing this from our guests this morning um, again and again. Is, is, Mr. Jung, is, 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 is there any solution to that? Is there any way to um, sort of, uh, sort of uh, gently reform the system? I think um, when we're talking about uh, reform the system, we first of all, I, 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 I think there's uh, no. Uh, I, I, most of us agree with that we, we do have a we do have a need to improve the uh, the service qualities of our uh, taxi industry. Uh, many of us. Uh, we personally experience uh, uh, different different kinds of uh, unpleasant experiences uh, when we are trying to hire a taxi. Um, uh, if you visit any 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 forums online or different pages on social media, you will see uh, that very frequent uh, complaints about uh, taxi drivers refusing to accept a hire. But uh, I think in, uh, we will, we all agree that we need to address these sort of uh, this this sort of issues. But before we go into details on what sort of actions we need to take, we first need to ask a very fundamental question. Whether this uh, unpleasant or unsatisfied uh, 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 behaviors of taxi uh, industry 
is purely is a purely issue at operational level, which means uh, through different orders, through more enforcement or more regulations or checks or uh, a surprise check, we can solve these issues. Or whether it's, there is a different issue, whether it's, uh, or maybe it's a it's actually at a demand demand and supply level of issue. So. Uh, we, uh, uh, the fundamental issue might be we don't really have sufficient taxi supply to to to, to serve the the demand of our local citizens and also of our tourists. But uh, unfortunately, I mean throughout the whole discussion on how we how we should uh, make different legislations, the government or different stakeholders, stakeholders they cannot answer these very fundamental questions. Now, so, sorry, Mr. Chang, I've had a question from a listener. He said, um, do, 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 do the presenters or perhaps the guests consider the Committee on Taxi Service Quality has failed? Uh, the Committee on Taxi Service Quality was set up in 2018, chaired by the Commissioner for Transport and um, a wide range of members. Uh, but um, um, perhaps the issues you, you, you've been raising suggesting that it hasn't really done anything. Uh, what, what's your opinion, um, uh, Mr. Chang? I mean, as a different... At a action level, at a detailed action level, they are proposing different things. They are proposing di- uh, and rolling um, uh, out different campaigns on uh, how to improve the services. But what I'm trying to argue is, what is the fundamental issue here? What is the root cause of all the this un- unsatisfied behavior here? Whether it's just an operational level sort of thing, or whether it's actually a demand supply level of of uh, of the of of, of the issue. So, right. I, I'm, 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 but uh, to be very frank, we don't have an answer at the moment. Uh, this supply and demand thing, of course, is constrained because road space is limited, and we consciously give priority to mass transport, like big double-decker buses and and so on. And um, in a way, you do. There is an argument for capping the number of vehicles providing a personal service like a taxi. The question is, how do we allocate the space between those vehicles? Now, in a sense, Uber or the equivalent of Uber rationalize it because in a peak period, they are free to set their own price. Yeah, but perhaps we're moving in that direction in the, with the taxi reforms in Hong Kong. We were talking about surge pricing earlier. Um, uh, Timothy Howe, we, we cut you off before the news, but you were saying one of the fundamental problems is that um, uh, there are not enough taxis in peak hours and there's too many in off-peak hours. And the answer to that, surely, Timothy Howe, is surge pricing. Sorry, uh, yeah. your last sentence? Yeah, the, uh, you, you, you were saying earlier that uh, there are not, not enough taxis in peak hours and there are too many taxis in off-peak hours. Uh, surely the answer to that, even if you don't have Uber, is the Uber model, flexible pricing. No, uh, uh, yes, I agree with you. In fact, okay, of course, they call it surge pricing, which actually is a euphemism for peak load pricing or, you know, price discrimination if you want to put it that way. I mean, basically, they operate very differently, okay? Uh, like I say, with very low entry cost, okay? And we, we do have to eventually move in that direction. But the reason, for instance, is that, for instance, with uh, um, three road harbor crossings, the government has already passed uh, time-varying tolling there, right? So that is really the way to go, even though right now, for taxis, $25.00 flat okay uh after august 2nd okay and uh towards the end of the year uh time varying toll come to effect and eventually the, the 25 dollar flat um flat 
flat uh, taxi uh, cab fare one way, the other way, okay, $50, okay, uh, has to change because of the fact of the, the problem that we, you just rightly pointed out, okay? Eventually, you'll have to do, do time varying toll. And my understanding, for instance, if you look at the Singapore's uh, website, okay, they have sort of uh, a surge, well, surge, they, they don't call it surge, right, peak pricing, okay, in the evening, okay, and um, and so when people get off work, you pay 25% more. And midnight, for instance, to 6 a.m., it's, it's 50% more. And during the day, it's uh, sort of a regular fares, okay? So you, they have sort of a peak-off-peak peak idea, okay? And, and that would be the way to solve the problem over the long run. You have to have time-varying uh, pricing. Otherwise, it's not going to work, right? right? But the and, technology that we now have that we didn't have when our licensing system was established, the technology now, the, the market is free to set the price according to the time of day and according to the number of people willing to drive at that time of day. Well, let's go back to uh, Gary Chung. Gary Chung, would you support uh, surge pricing or peak pricing, as we, uh, we, however we want to call it, for taxis? Yeah, I, I think that's the. I agree with that. It's the, it's the, it's the direction to go because, uh, because this this really touches the question I raised: the demand, the demand and supply issue of our of, of our uh, of the overall personalized point-to-point uh, transport services, but. Uh, just looking at the charging, the the, the surging charge or the time varying charge, it's, it's more it's more on the demand side of the management. And just now we, I think I think you rightly said that the, during the peak hour we have the two we have two uh, we have a we have the, the demand is high, is much higher than the, the, the supply of the taxes um, in the, in the market. So another question is. Um, uh, I mean, in addition, to, uh, I mean, uh, uh, in addition to, uh, to, uh, to 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 the pricing to the pricing uh, tool, should we also look at the supply side? Are we having enough taxi, or should we at least um, have some sort of flexible model to to allow more services to be supplied during the peak hours? I mean, uh, 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 to, in, together with the the, the, the pricing the, the pricing adjustment uh, mechanism. Oh, it's also still where this is KY Leung. Um, uh, KY, what, what do you think of the whole issue of surge pricing? No, I, I, I fully agree that surge pricing is probably the way. And the challenge is how to actually establish the process and set up to allow this to be legal and, and well understood and well practiced. If you look at it, actually, even the current system of you call to a radio station, I want a taxi. Uh, that is already surge pricing because a you you book a taxi you add say uh, five dollars surcharge this is one but this doesn't really uh, and that goes to the taxi driver and very often if you listen to the ra- uh, radio on, on a taxi there are passengers who say that hey I want to come from uh, central mid level to whatever to uh, and I want I, I I'm willing to add another $5 or $10 or even $20. That is already something, uh, 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 peak pricing, surge pricing, uh, actually offered by the passenger. And I think it's a, bet, it's a better way of actually having it legalized because then you you, you pay a taxi on, on the street, they just they come, why do you have to pay extra? But if I, w- I want to make a call and and then, 
there will be a room for me to actually offer more and taxi driver to take more. And the fact that if you offer a call, having an uh, uh, organized street, a uh, uh, managed street, will make it uh, much better. OK, we're, we're almost out of time, but let me bring in a last comment from Neil again. And, KY, perhaps you'd like to respond, because uh, all, all our guests are supporting surge pricing, but uh, Neil has a rather different opinion. He says surge pricing only helps the wealthiest to move around quickly at the expense of the common folk. Uh, KY? Well, well, on the other hand, isn't it actually uh, taking a taxi is a, a, a means to, for the better off to, to move around easier than take a bus? <laughs> I'm one who actually go to work and, and go home by taxi every day because I don't want to take the hassle of taking, changing bus to go to my place of work. So I think it's always the same. And it's a better use of road space, I would say. OK, we'll have to draw it to a close there. But um, thank you very much to our guests in our discussion about uh, the reforms to Hong Kong's taxi industry. You just heard KY Leung, uh, former president of the Chartered Industri- Institute of Logistics and Transport. Um, also joining us from the beginning, uh, Dr. Timothy Howe, uh, honorary associate professor, faculty of business and economics at Hong Kong U Business School. And joining us in the, the last segment of the discussion there was Gary Jung. Gary Jung is a legislator uh, for New Territories North constituency and a member of the Legislative Council's panel on transport. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. Welcome back to Backchat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your guest presenter this morning is Mike Rouse. In the um, in the last closing show part of the show, we're going to welcome uh, two um, um, uh, graduates from uh, local sc- from DBS uh, Diocesan Boys School who really deserve congratulations from the IB results last week, the International Baccalaureate, uh, which is very tough indeed. I have two children myself doing IB, so I know firsthand how tough it is. Um, and uh, the maximum score in the IB is 45. It's very hard to achieve, both around the world and in Hong Kong, the numbers who achieved um, the maximum score of 45 uh, this year uh, was down very substantially. But two of them are Anson Lam, who is here in the studio with us, and Max Kwok, from, uh, both, as I say, from DBS. So congratulations, as I say, right? As a, a parent of IB kids, I, I, I really know how, how tough it is. Well, well done. And uh, uh, maybe, Anson, let's start with you. I'm sure a lot of other parents, including me, might, well, uh, what, is, what is the secret to getting 45? Um, I think that... It's about uh, constantly um, putting your best work into not only your tests, your exams, but also just studying for in the long term for the May exams because it's very important. And I find it very hard to keep track of what assignments you have to do when you have to deal with a lot of essays and your exams. So I think that time management and starting very early is very important. Yeah, it's sort of non-stop, isn't it, right? You get one, they're called uh, in- IAs, right, internal assessments. You get one after another. As soon as you've done one, right, you, you, you've got another deadline looming. Yeah, I, uh, you, you may find it very chill at the, like, the first month, but then afterwards you have a lot of uh, IAs and a lot of projects you have to do, a lot of labs uh, you have to complete. So it's, it's, uh, it's really hard to really finish everything if you don't plan it beforehand. Right. You're going on into music. 
in in London. Uh, that's good. I mean, I think there's a lot of speculation that we're dropping our interest in arts and and yeah, music, we always think like sort that. of that the top scores are all going to go into medicine yeah. and law. Medicine and law. It's good that there's someone here in the, in the art side. Oh, yeah, uh, and we should bring in Max, shouldn't we? Max, yeah. Max is going into medicine. Max Quark. Well, yeah. we, we he's turning in a minute. <laughs> um, I just want to say, uh, do you see yourself having a career in music? I do, and I think that I have the determination to succeed in music. That's why uh, after uh, like a very long period of thought, I decided to pursue music as my career because I think that I have a passion for it and I really like to make music, uh, maybe performing or composing music. So I think that I'll definitely find a way to succeed in this field. So how many years will you be studying at the Royal School of Music? Uh, I will be studying for four years at for the bachelor's degree, so it's quite long. Wow. Degree. Let's okay. actually, to follow up on that chain of thought, um, you, do you get any pressure from parents and friends saying with these kind of grades, you should really be going off to do medicine and law? I mean, it almost seems uh, tra tradition, doesn't it? That, I mean, there's nothing wrong at all with doing those subjects, but um, did, some people must have commented to you why you do music when you've got the grades, you could be doing medicine or law. Uh, my parents, they fully support me into pursuing a music career, so I'm really thankful for that. And for my friends, I think we usually joke around, like, they will often tell me like you should really go to uh, study in medicine and get like a very uh, very comfortable life. But I think I want challenges and I'm ready for it. Okay, Max. Yes. Hi. Welcome. Oh, thank Congratulations. You. Congratulations. Thank, thank you. Thank um, you. You're going into the uh, traditional course of yeah, medicine. Medicine. How many How many years are you going to be studying now? Honestly, it'll be six years in for the bachelor's degree. Right. But then. For a doctor, it'll be a lifelong learning, so then it might be maybe 50 years of learning, actually. Have you identified an area of specialty yet, or are you leaving it open for a while? Uh, as of right now, it's more so lean towards orthopedics, so for around the bone and musculoskeletal system. But because like I'm an athlete, so then it's like normal for me to have interest in the body and like the bones right. and muscles. Yeah, I, I got some aches and pains. Maybe after the show, you can, <laughs> maybe. You can get some practice in. Um, so, Wow. And so, Beyonce, we should ask you also, and we asked Anson, I mean, uh, as we said, it is, it's, it's, it's very tough to get full bar, mm -hmm, actually, yeah. full marks or anything. What, what's the secret to your success? For like, On top of Anson's point of being consi consistent, the most important thing for me is to get well rested. Because if you're not well rested, there's no, it, there's a higher, there's, there's lower chance for you to performing well. For me, it's just like having a good sleep schedule, sleeping enough, drinking enough water, and having a good diet. These are all important points, having a healthy lifestyle and improving your grades. All right. What, what, you mentioned sport. What sports are you into? Uh, I play tennis. All right. Yeah. At what sort of level? Are you going to represent Hong Kong at tennis? Oh, I have represented Hong Kong before there since I was like 12 years old. And it's honestly a, a great honor too. And you're choosing to, I think you're going to Hong Kong U, aren't you, right? Uh, I actually don't know yet. It's 50-50 right now. <laughs> Either CU or Hong Kong U. Okay, but anyway, you're going to study in Hong Kong, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what's the thinking? About, I mean, presumably you, you could have gone to study overseas and they're making it easier for people who study overseas to come back to practice uh, medicine in Hong Kong. What, what's the thinking about studying in Hong Kong instead? Well, like, honestly, it's, it's about the great education that Hong Kong provides. And in Hong Kong, and I see, I see HK and HKU, they're both great universities, especially when my both when my sisters are studying in Hong Kong, also medicine. So then it's like persuading me about and commenting about good things about both unis and like how it is studied like working in hong kong and that's what kind of like made me pers uh, persuaded me to come to hong kong and study because well, with know. these kind of grades you could have gone into good universities in britain and so on so um but you, your opinion is that uh, hong kong U and cu are better than the sort of universities you might go to in britain i wouldn't say they're better because i'm not in the pl standpoint to like 
give that judgment. But then it's more definitely more well suited for me, especially since I want to work in Hong Kong in the future. Learning Cantonese in both these unis are like crucial for me to like communicate with the other patients. Yeah, yeah, that's a big thing. Uh, um, point when we recruit medical personnel from outside yeah. Hong Kong is a lot of the older patients can now, only handle they, yeah, Cantonese. They can't really understand English. Now, we, we, we should mention, of course, that your achievement is all the more striking because this is the first year that IB has gone back to sort of normal post-COVID marking. And we, sometimes, as we say, your cohort was <laughs> particularly unfortunate, wasn't it? Because you were hit yeah. by the COVID disruption to your studies as well, but you didn't get any leniency when it came to, um, when it came to the, uh, how IB marked their papers. Exactly. This year, um, and um, just how 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 much do you think? Uh, I mean, this incredible achievement to still get forty five after COVID disruption. Uh, how, how much dis- do you think that the COVID disrupted your studies, and how how do you o- overcome it? Anson first. Um, I I remember like in grade ten and during our bridging program, and also a little bit in grade eleven, we were having Zoom lessons a lot. And I think that it's particularly hard for us to concentrate during Zoom lessons because you have all those <laughs> distractions it, yes. around. You can have your mobile phone out and you can do whatever on it, right? So I think that uh, putting us in back to the school setting, it really allows us to concentrate on what the teachers, uh, what they are saying. And I think that will actually improve our grades by quite a lot without us actually realizing. So I think that uh, COVID definitely impacted me a bit, but I I won't really say that uh, it made a very huge difference. Max? For me, it's actually the opposite. COVID actually helped me with my <laughs> grades because like, before my grades weren't that good and I was really focused on tennis and I didn't study much. But then since COVID, the courts were closed, all the facilities were closed, I had more time to put into studying and this actually boosted my grade qu- quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a new one. I mean, I've heard so so many students quite rightly saying how they, they, they uh, COVID has disrupted and led to worse grades. So it's the first time I've heard someone say you got better grades. How, how about generally? I, we're looking around, I was counting. I saw one bus stop this morning where no one was wearing a mask. I think that's the first time since the 1st of March that I've actually seen that. Um, but there's still large numbers of people walking around in the fresh air uh, wearing masks. W- what's the thinking behind that? Um, I think that we really sort of like uh, really don't really treat COVID as seriously now. And I think it's probably an appropriate uh, response from the IBO to sort of like uh, tell us that uh, the great boundaries will be back to normal and that we should really uh, be moving on instead of moaning over how COVID has uh impacted our learning. I think that we should be like quick to react and also to adapt to COVID circumstances. Because I think that, as Max has said, uh, there are definitely opportunities for us to improve in our academic performance when COVID happened. Well, you know, you, you both studied IB. I, IB is growing in popularity in Hong Kong and indeed around the world. But still, I mean, majority of students at local schools take DSE. And I presume that DBS, probably quite similar to my children's school, that you can choose between DSE and IB. Uh, and so, well, uh, maybe we'll start with Max. What's the thinking behind uh, choosing IB rather than DSE? And uh, what would be your advice to other people and parents who are approaching this point of, of making a choice where they can? 
Okay, so uh, before I was in international school, before I transferred to DBS, so then it was quite easy for me to make the decision. Since I was like brought up in the international environment, I was always like learning the skills in the IB, like critical thinking, all these different skills. So then when it was the time for me to choose, it was quite obvious for me to choose the IB route. But for other parents that are debating whether DSC or IB, you really have to delve in deep into like the learning styles of both because they're actually drastically different. And which one suits your children more? Uh, uh, did, did, did you transfer in to, from an international school or you, you went up through the local system? Oh, actually, no, I'm, I grew up in a very traditional sort of uh, academic setting. So it was so like... that a, would be more naturally DSE, wouldn't it, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, I think that what draws me to the IB is the amount of uh, presentations or maybe interactions with other students that you get, which I honestly, I really like to express my own ideas. And I find, I find that IB is a more suitable option for me to do so. Also, there's like opportunities for you to write a lot of essays in a very sort of formal university kind of way. So I think that it will you, really well prepare me. Do you think it's best for the pupil to make the decision or the parents? And do the parents know enough about the difference uh, with that between IB and the DSC? Do, do they know enough? Uh, I think some schools do provide enough uh, information about the IB for them to choose, but for the most part, I think that the students should be actively engaging in like learning what our difference between DSC and IB and make their decisions themselves while also letting their parents know about the decision and why they do so. I think Mexico. I also agree. Both the parents and the children have to like come to a mutual agreement and understand both systems well. I gotta, I gotta confess. My children told me what they were going to do IB, and that was the end. I wasn't invited to contribute to the decision-making process at all. Maybe uh, Max, you, you said that growing up, you never thought of studying medicine until a couple of years ago. Do you want to say a bit more about that? So it was actually um, close to like my secondary fourth year that I started to like get interested into the a healthcare sector like physio or medicine. This is because like since I was young I always got injured from tennis and I always visited like those doctors like orthopedics, had a surgery on my knee and like the heartwarming uh, feeling that I went into when I went into the office and how kind they were to me, that kind of inspired me to become a doctor. And how about you, Anson? Have you always wanted to do music? Oh, I actually COVID uh, helped me in making this decision. I wanted to be a pilot before. A but pilot? Well, I suppose it is a growth industry again now, but it will, the yeah. last few years has not been a good time to be a pilot, yeah, has so it? So that's why I made a switch and I got more time to practice as well because of COVID. I was stuck at home, so I decided to pick up practicing a, little, a bit more seriously. Before, I usually take it as a hobby, but now it's actually a career now. So. You're going to take time off this summer for a couple of weeks, have a holiday, get over the exams? Well, it should be more than a couple of weeks, right? You're going to start university in September, right? You're not busy doing summer courses, are you? Or are you actually enjoying yourself? Um, I, my daily schedule is really just practicing uh, as much as I can because I wanted to better prepare myself for... Uh, because I know that uh, in the music conservatory, there are a lot of people that are more talented than me, and I really want to catch up with them. How about you, Max? So you, you can't start practicing for your future career <laughs> at the moment. So what, how, you, how do you plan to spend your summer? For me, I'll definitely hang out with my friends a bit more since IB the, uh, these two years have been very hectic. But then I'll also keep playing tennis on the side and maybe I'll find an internship this summer to hopefully boost my CV before uni. 
Well, congratulations again. As I said, it is a, it's a major achievement indeed. I mean, and we should also say congratulations to all students across Hong Kong and around the world who got their IB results last week, but uh, particularly to these two here in the studio, Anson Lam and Max Kwok, who scored the maximum uh, 45. Congratulations. That's it for us for today. The uh, weather forecast uh, is going to be fine and very hot, apart from isolated showers. Currently 31 degrees. The uh, relative humidity is 75%. We'll be back tomorrow.